Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You could follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. Well, welcome back to Spiro Avenue. Justin Spiro with you. And look, I'm not going to hide my excitement tonight because I'm very excited. I've been gushing ever since the man across from me walked into my basement. I didn't even get the door for him. We're such good friends. He just walked right in, and that's the kind of friendship I'm looking for. This is a grand return for one of my favorite guests ever, a guy that I have a personal affinity for. A lot of the guests that come in here, the first time I meet him is when they sit down in that chair. This is not the case. One of the best people you will ever catch on Twitter, anywhere that you get any podcasts, my good friend Chris Castellani, the Tigers expert, the movie expert in studio once again. Thanks for having me, buddy. I appreciate the intro, man. It's uh, it's great to see you. It's great to be back. I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm thrilled to have you back. I don't know if you got this attractive tonight just for me. I'm usually the best dressed person here. We've had people show up in like plaid pants and right. white t-shirts. I'm not going to name names. But you came fully dapper. You're ready to go. Well, it's the Spiro Avenue podcast, for God's sakes. I, I mean, see, it's 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 a big deal. Yeah. It's Spiro Avenue show. See, I you teased it out on oh, Twitter. That's right. Yeah, I, did I say podcast? You, on if, the- I don't know if Ben saw this, but you said, hey, I'll be on the Spiro Avenue podcast tonight. And I, I could feel uh, Ben having a stroke from 20 miles away. So we try to distance ourselves from that. Just because, you know, we're video, so. Yeah. But we, we will forgive you for that. Just I appreciate that. Just because I said fantastic. Spiro Avenue. I got the, I got you, the important you part. Did. Right, yeah. We shouldn't say Spiro. I, I'm uh, Speaking of not naming names, we did have a guest that said, I'm going to go on the Spiro Avenue show. <laughs> I'm not going to name that name either. But uh, there's a lot of disrespect going around in town, but not from you, hopefully. No. So, look, there's a lot to get to. You're the Tigers guy. Correct. You're, you're, the, you're the Tigers. That's master. what they call me. Yeah. And that's what you're known as. You're the king of Tigers Twitter as Ben Augusta has adorned you with the title. So this is an interesting topic for me because I have sort of waxed and waned on where I stand on. There's some aspects I like of where they're going. There's some aspects that I don't like. I have a lot of concerns. We've talked about it with Evan Petzold from the Detroit Free Press, only Paul from the Detroit News, our friend Scott Anderson from, you know, the bar down the street. And everyone is kind of at a different point of where they're at with where things are. Mm-hmm. I'm curious where you stand because I have a lot of concerns. I'm going to let you start and I'm going to then kind of get into specifics about what I'm worried about. Mm-hmm. But just in general, where do you stand on what the Tigers are doing and how is the rebuild going? Eh, eh, it's, it's there. It's a thing. You know, I, I look, I think this iteration of the team will be substantially more tolerable than the last several years. Uh, and I think the the last, the, how they've looked so far through 15 games, I think is probably a reflection of the team they're going to be this year. They're probably going to have a few series where the pitching is going to look really good. And you're going to think maybe they're not terrible. And then they'll have a series against Cleveland where they couldn't hit field or pitch. And then a series against Oakland where they've scored zero runs in the last two games. As far as the rebuild in general, uh, my concerns are your concerns, and it's a lot of people's concerns. Um, I I mirror Tony Paul's opinion and and a lot of people's opinion. I thought this last offseason was a remarkable disappointment. Uh, I think you had an opportunity uh, in a COVID year, especially with uh, the amount of players that were non-tendered, that you could have rebuilt your outfield. You could have done something fun. And you know what? If you wanted to go out and get a JT Riamuto... I'm not complaining, uh, but I think that they really had an opportunity to to take a, a big next step 
uh, and they didn't. And I, you know, I, I had, I had a feeling they would do that uh, following a COVID year, uh, which I think is nonsense. I, Chris Illich is going to make more money in this sentence than I make in my life. I'm not going to have him cry poverty because they didn't sell enough hot dogs. Like, I think that's a bit, that's a bit silly. But yeah, I, I, the free agent signings, while not awful this year necessarily, Ramos has been fine, but um, underwhelming. And that's going to, that's going to be the question. I am, I've officially reached the, I'll believe it when I see it stage in regarding to how they're going to spend money. I mean, there's five free agent shortstops next year. Uh, that's, I think, for a lot of people is going to be kind of the, the, the tipping point. If they don't go out and get one of those guys, um, I, th- I think it's going to, they're going to have a hard time filling Comerica Park for the next four or five seasons. I agree with everything you just said, and I have framed it like this. And Because and, I, I hate ambiguity when it comes to expectations. I think it lets a lot of people off the hook, and I hate it in water cooler debates because mm. there's always some weasel that says, oh, you know, he did have a good year. It's like, no, he didn't. Let's just give me a hardcore, concrete, rock solid criteria for what is good. What's a good result? What is Chris Illich keeping his promise? Now, to me, I have said I want one of those shortstops you talked yes. about, Trevor Story, Carlos Correa. I'm not as big on, on Baez, but whatever. Seeger. Seeger's, Seeger's hitting well, the hell out of the ball Seager's right now. Seeger's actually my number one. Yeah, on he might list. be mine too. He's my, he, if I could pick. But I want one of those guys mm-hmm. and, and no six options. Got to be one of those guys. And Justin Verlander coming back, who, you know, I, I, I have heard that's probably going to happen. At least the organization seems to think it's going in that direction. Plus some supplementary, you know, holes, like, you know, sign another guy for eight, $10 million or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything short of that, and I don't want to hear it. I, I is that fair? Is that fair for me to say sign one of these guys, sign Verlander and one or two more middle tier guys, or get the fuck out? Because that's where I'm at, dude. Completely. Yeah. I mean, I I would make the argument right now they're kind of past the expected date. I like. I really felt like this offseason was an opportunity. They you know they they've had like you know, ice cream truck drivers behind home plate for the last four or five years. They could have gotten J T. Riamuto. They didn't. Uh, and now, you know, you're in Ram- again, Ramos has been good. I'm not saying the signings this year for one year guys are necessarily terrible, but we know what the expectations are here. And I'm, I'm with you. I think next off season, um, is going to be where they should take the step that they should have taken this year. The biggest misconception about rebuilds in general is that you don't spend until you get good. That's not true. You spend before you get good. The Padres signed Hosmer and Machado after 70 win seasons, knowing, hey, we got Mackenzie Gore and we got Paddock and we got Tatis, obviously, as a Cronenworth, all these guys as, as potential you know, franchise cornerstones. Uh, Tigers seem to be going about things in another way. The Cubs were the same way. They signed Lester after they won 72 games or something in, in 2014. Next year, they found themselves in the NLCS. I don't think it's as far off as some people believe, just based on what I've seen through the first 15 games, I do think the pitching will develop. Pending injuries, of course, you never know with starting pitchers. I'm not worried about Torkelson in spring. I think Riley Green's going to be a stud as well. So there, there is a core there, but it's how you build around it. And we've seen really during this rebuild, because even the whole Avila spending after 2015 and signing Zimmerman, bad, but I'm willing to... to move forward from that and just see, okay, what are the moves he can make now? Um, and with, a, with an unlimited budget, hope that hopefully Chris Illich gives him. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think, I think as fans, I think people have been remarkably patient. It's year five of the rebuild. Man. Beyond. Yeah. Like I, I don't very patient. Yeah. This is not me in 2018 spitting in my car because in year two of a rebuild, you know, Leonis Martin went over four. Like we're talking about, we're talking about a team that is several years in development and has 
it's the other problem. There's several teams in their own division that have kind of lapped you as far as rebuilds go. The White Sox, I champion forever, despite the Larusa hire. I think that's one of the most talented teams in baseball. But on a lesser scale, the Royals are are in first place right now. Do I think they're going to maintain that? No, of course not. But they went out and they got Benintendi and Santana and Mike Miner, three guys that I would be that would have been some of the best pieces on this year's Tigers roster. It's just I the the bargain bin bargain basement signings are. Uh, you know, they're getting remarkably frustrated. It's old. And, yeah. and you properly, I might add, invoke the San Diego Padres, but you don't have to go all the way to the West Coast three time zones over to look for an example of this working. Look right down the street with the very organization that we are discussing. 2003 Detroit Tigers mm-hmm. were the worst team ever. I'm not going to give you the New York Mets that lost one more game in the National League as an expansion team. That doesn't count. The 2003-119 loss, Detroit Tigers were the worst baseball team ever. Objectively, the worst. Three years later, they're in the World Series. Did they make all those signings right before 2006? Nope. Ivan Rodriguez in 04. Maglio Ordonez in 05. Kenny Rogers in 06. Mm -hmm. It was a slow build. And then, oh, look, here's Zumai and Verlander. And you have, here's the prospects coming up. Here's this free agent, this free agent, free agent. Boom. We meet in 2006. We're in the World Series. And by the way, had the best record in baseball at the All-Star break. There was nothing like Cinderella about that. It was written as a Cinderella. That team was, they had a bad September. Other than that, they were great the entire season. So we don't even have to go to San Diego. We've seen it work here. Mm -hmm. We have the blueprint. They are not following it. You invoke Tony Paul. Just for those that didn't see his excellent take on it, I know we both agree. Mm -hmm. I want Ben to play that so people can. Oh, I I set you up for it, didn't I? You set it up perfectly. So play Tony Paul. This right on the money with this. I've been uh, absolutely disappointed with with uh, what shape the rebuild has taken this off season. In that, I don't think it's taken any shape at all. I think that they've done nothing, and and I think this was the perfect time to strike. So I think they have the pieces. But uh, they haven't been as proactive as I would like to see them in, in, in filling in the holes and the gaps around because I think that this team, with some, with some good free agent signings, some good moves, I think this team could be in contention in 2022. Now I don't believe that. I think this is a wasted offseason. Wait, Chris, I mean, it's a wasted offseason mm-hmm. was his basic take, and it's the same thing that we're laying out, is that they didn't, they didn't do what they needed to do, and they could have laid the groundwork. I was openly campaigning. Or Carlos Santana, who you mentioned with the yeah. Royals. I was huge on Remuto. That was that to me was the the white whale that. of this. He's to me he's the the best catcher in baseball. And there, if you look at the ten worst hitters in baseball over the last three years, I'm, I'm hyperbolic here. Half of them are catchers for the Tigers. I mean, you you can't do worse if you tried with Rogers and Griner and Bobby Wilson and any one of those guys. So like to me, that and it would have obviously been some remarkable parallels between him and Pudge Rodriguez, right? Kind of the first, you know, big body blow that you threw in free agency. I'd have been fine with that, but yeah, no cigar. I disagree a little bit just because I think Ramos was a, a sneaky good signing. Not, no, and he's been good. I, he has been good. But here's but. the, here's the thing though. When we're talking about the, the shape of the rebuild, Ramos is not a part of that rebuild. I'm talking about yeah. getting a guy that you can four or five years down the road say, we can plug him into a playoff roster. Ramos will not be here after this year. If he is, it'll only be for one more year. Right. No, he's a right. 30-something catcher. You're right. You're right. But I did like the Ramos signing. I thought that was, I couldn't believe how cheap they got him. Mm-hmm. It's like, this guy's got a pretty good track. He was, he was one of those weird guys that had a poor season during a 60-game campaign and yeah. everybody forgot about him. But he's been more often than not pretty darn good throughout yeah, his especially, career. Especially, you know, adjusted for the position. Now, mm-hmm. you said, which I agree, 
The fan base has been extremely patient. I would just want to add, there has to be some context to that patience. You're right. We've been extremely patient, overly patient, I would argue. But it's also with the backdrop of they did never, they never did cash in a title mm-hmm. with that prior era. Mm-hmm. So it's like with the Detroit Red Wings, whom I've seen win the Stanley Cup four different times. I, I've seen endless success. I've seen Stanley Cups close calls. They've earned that patience. It's like, okay, you know what? Take a decade off and figure out your shit. No problem. Right. The Tigers, their fan base, and I'm part of I've been one of the ones embracing the rebuild, patient with the rebuild, but it's all contingent on them delivering on their promise. And we look, I was willing, and I had the debate with Tony Paul. I was willing to say, look, maybe I won't crush them for not spending this pass off season. I, I just I would have preferred it. That's the direction I wanted them to go for all the reasons you and Tony laid out. But I'm willing to swallow it one more time. If they don't yep. spend next year, I don't think it's ever happening. Why would I mm-hmm. think? Why would I think it would? I'm How long you. are we supposed to wait? Twelve years? No, no I'm, I'm with you completely. And, and Tony brought up the point of from for basically for the entire '90s and into the 2000s, there was a whole generation of Tigers fans that just became apathetic. The idea of we're going to spend, we're gonna we're going to develop guys through our system, we're going to be competitive. Uh, became you know a, a lost notion. It, it was dead. It took that remarkable 2006 season just to get people back. We're getting to that point where it's been, you know, it was it's seven years removed from a last playoff appearance. Five years removed from actually being competitive. You know, 86 wins in 2016. 2016 is 1984 compared to what we've you know had to endure over the last several seasons. So yeah, there's gonna be you know it's like I said. I mean, I think that it's kind of a now or never thing it, with uh, this upcoming off season. It lines up perfectly with the amount of free agents that they're gonna have, including bring it, the potential of bringing Verlander back, which I'm so so about. Like I think it would be such a it'd be a thing that the the fan or not the fan base but management and ownership would would champion. Justin Verlander is also gonna be a 40 year old pitcher coming off of Tommy John. Be, I think 38. There's 30. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. with more, more city miles on him than any pitcher in baseball currently. So, I mean, I'm not, you know, Max is a free agent too. <laughs> and he's still, he went seven scoreless the other night, but I, I yeah. get the principle behind that. If JB wants to come back here, I'd, I'd be happy to see him. But you know, I, I if they do that and that alone, I'm not going to look at it as some overwhelming success. Because, no, yeah, right. you have to have the you have to have the other big. Chip. Well, that's what I'm worried yeah. about, though. That's what I'm worried in the same way that Tony talked about when they brought Trammell back to be the manager and they championed it like it was some big deal. I worry that they're going to make that move and that'll be their big splurge. And yeah. they could do something that we don't even know that's on the board that would also be an acceptable out. I mean, it's a bad example now because he's since been extended. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, I was saying. If you know, if you traded for Lindor with a you know year left on his deal, I doubted Cleveland would do that. But right. you know, before he ended up going to the Mets and resigning, but it's like you can do the Miguel Cabrera thing: trade for a guy that has a year left that's not even a free agent yet, unload some of your prospect capital. Like, there's so many things you can do if you pick up the phone and you're aggressive. So it's like that's the, the kind of door number three. You know, mm-hmm. like you get the Verlander, all the shortstops, but you can get creative with this prospect capital as well. I Look, I like to read the tea leaves whenever I can. I try to discern messages because teams, managers, coaches, owners, players don't usually go in front of a microphone and say, this is where it's going. This is exactly what we're going to do. And I don't blame them for that. So there's a couple tea leaves things from the beginning of the year, opening day. We're getting into it that were very concerning. We want to start with Chris Illich meeting with the broadcast on TV, talking about the the roster and the development and the direction of the team. I'm going to play a little clip of that 
And then I'm going to get into the next one in a second. But let's play Chris Illich on opening day talking about the direction of his Detroit Tigers. Uh, but I can tell you uh, from, from my perspective and Al Avila's perspective, he's also been a tremendous partner in, in going about the business of, of building out our roster, uh, looking at our organization long term in terms of how we're trying to rebuild and build this into a championship caliber club. I can't say enough good things about AJ. He's been a great addition, and, and the coaching staff that he surrounded himself with is truly stellar. Uh, we've got a wonderful staff. We are set up for success. Um, you know, we just need more of our young talent to develop, and as you guys know, that takes time. It takes time. We have heard it takes time. We're waiting for guys to build up and develop for half a decade. That exact line made a whole lot of sense in 2017, mm-hmm. 2018, 2019, maybe even 2020. We shouldn't still be there now. It doesn't mean it's wrong, but the timing of it's wrong. We've been hearing the same thing. A rebuild, you shouldn't have the same message in year five that you had in years one through four. Is that fair? Oh, completely. Uh, my biggest issue with it from the beginning has been how scatterbrained it is, the whole rebuild. I'm there's been no real concrete plan. Like the Royals said after 2017, when Moose was, well, they brought back Moose, but Hosmer and their core from the 2015 championship was gone. They said, all right, it's going to be a five-year plan by 2022. That's going to be the year that we're want, that we want to compete. Theo Epstein said the same thing when he got to Chicago, there's never been a concrete date as to when, when the switch is going to get flipped. We've never really heard that. I remember them kind of implying it was going to be post 2020. Then they kind of swept that under the rug after, you know, what happened last season. So that's my biggest concern is that three years from now, we're going to be hearing the same kind of politician speak answers that we're getting from Chris Illich right now. Why would we think otherwise? We have we have no evidence to the contrary. And look, I I mean, you say I I want a concrete timeline. Some teams do that. Most don't. I mean, the common thing you hear from a coach is I'm not going to put a number on how many wins I'm going to have this year. I'm not going to put a number on when we're going to be in the playoffs. I. I get that you want that. Mm -hmm. I would love that, but I don't necessarily expect that or think that's even reasonable. But what I do expect is something from 2021 to not sound like Ben could have pulled that from five years ago and it would be the same exact. It has been, if you look at the quotes, we've talked about it on, on other episodes, pulling things he said in 2017. It's the same exact verbiage that even if he just threw in a little nugget like, you know, we're close, we're getting ready to pounce or yeah. some, something, give me something. And that wasn't it. His cohort, the, the one that he's praising in that, in that clip that we just played, Al Avila, who has done arguably the worst job other than Matt Millen in the history of Detroit sports. Wow. League. You think that bad? Really? That, that who, who's, who's second worst? M- M- Matt Millen's the worst. He'll never, right. be, he'll never be toppled. Who's, I, who's clearly worse than what Al I guess. Yeah, I mean, You've been around longer than I have. I just to say second worst in the history of the city. Well, you can't dispute it until I you gotta give me somebody. You gotta give me a name. I would only, the, name? the only argument would be it's unfinished. Now, do I have faith in where How they're much going? Time no. Does he get? I do. I know. I know. I'm, I'm with you. And the other the argument, the other argument to that would be I it's hard for me to hold a lot of the signings against him because I think he's on a, a shoestring budget that's enforced by by Illich. OK, now do Jordan Zimmerman, Mike Pelfrey. Right, I know, right. No, I do. We've I, seen him with money. He lit it on fire. Right. He was horrible. Yeah. I mean, I'm at a point now. I The extension lasts for, what, two more years? I, I think if and when this team gets successful, I can't imagine that he would be the GM here. I think it would be handed over to another guy. Why did they extend him in the yeah, first place? Yeah, that never place? made any no sense to me. Why. That never made any sense to me. Nobody knows why. He's done a horrible job. And look, if you want to sit here and, you know, 
pick nits. I don't know whether he's the second worst or the fourth worst. The bottom line is he's been terrible. So speaking of Mr. Terrible, the guy who has been, in my opinion, the second worst GM in my lifetime in the history of Detroit sports, just my lifetime, not talking about 1946. Let's let's hear what El Vila had to say about mm. the progress of the rebuild and what they have coming down the line. It's very exciting stuff. You add pieces um, like you did last year that, that really did work. I think the scope edition last year really proved to be a great pickup. I'm curious. I, I know you have so much patience as a general manager in baseball. But was there a point in this offseason where you knocked on Chris Illich's door and said, can we spend some more money this year? Can we go sign some bigger name guys and maybe accelerate this a little bit more? Well, the only thing about that is, you know, you, you have to be careful. I, I have very little patience, but you have to have <laughs> patience in that, um, just like I mentioned before, we, we've got to establish, and, th- and th- I had this conversation with A.J. Hinch uh, when we were, just before we hired him, actually, in the hiring process. Um, and then afterwards, we, we agreed that one of the things that we have to really establish here is our pitching. And once that's done, then we can move forward. Blah, 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 blah. First of all, great job, Brad Galley, who, yeah. re- who recently unblocked job. me, by the way. Thank you for that, Brad. Congratulations. Say it's a big day for me. <laughs> but thank God, Brad Galley, it's just bravo to Brad Galley mm-hmm. for actually asking the question. I don't know why no one's asked it. Nobody knows. Everyone's wondering, but no one's asked it until then. Brad Galley says, look, why didn't you spend? Like, did you think about maybe expediting this thing a little bit? We're in the same rut that we've been in for half a decade. So let's get that out of the way. Great job, Brad. But it's the same line. Well, you know, we got to be patient once the pitchers develop. How much time do you want? Yeah, and, and the whole thing, the part that drove me nuts there is we got to develop our pitching. Is that not what you've been doing for four years? I was in diapers when Matt Manning got drafted. Like, what? Well, like, and again, and that's not a knock on him. I, Matt Manning was drafted out of high school. He's going to be fine. But like, the problem is, you, yeah, I know, and he struggled a little bit. He has, but I, I think he'll be all right. He was a project from the beginning. Uh, I just like, how long is that going to have to happen? And there's been a whole lot of pitchers that they believed in who I'm not going to say tanked because it's way early on. Who knows if they go to the bullpen, but like Alex Fido was a big deal. Tommy John, right? Uh, Joey Wentz was a big deal. Boy, did they champion him after the Shane Green trade. Tommy John, not saying they're going to be bad, but really, if you're talking about your pitching, maybe I'm leaving one out. All you really have to show for it is the three-headed monster, Mize Manning and Scooball. And that is, admittedly, a very good core of pitching. But we're talking about a five-year rebuild. That's the biggest issue I've had throughout the whole thing is, they've look, fine, they've hit with the first-round picks. They hit with Scooball. That's the one. That's the one outside of a top-ten pick that you can look at and say, yeah, I think he's going to develop into something. But who else? And and you're still talking about developing pitching. All right, fine. I mean, it's taken a while, but these guys are here. They got to they got to start showing something. And it's funny because like the Scooble thing, everyone's putting him on the board as like, oh, you know, that that's one that wasn't a top ten pick. That was you know a third round or fourth round, whatever mm-hmm. it was. Not a, not an easy pick. Good job, Al. Mm-hmm. Not that impressed so far. I mean, it was very he'll good. Be all right. riders, but he'll be all right. Well, you tell me. He's twenty four years old. We're, we're only 10 starts into his career. It's a little itty-bitty sample size, but his ERA is damn near six. It took him 90 pitches to get through four mm-hmm. innings his last start. I'm not saying he's bad, but it's like, why are we celebrating that? Like, oh, okay, he nailed the Scooble thing. We don't know that he nailed the Scooble thing. The guy's been bad. I mean, unless you think a six ERA is good, right. it's, it's not a reason to bury him. Which I do not. It's I'm not a reason that. to bury a motherfucker after 10 starts. I'm not, right. say, I'm not saying get the shovel and, and put the dirt on mm-hmm. him. 
But I'm not going to celebrate it and say, where's the parade? Okay, you know, say what you want about Alvio. He nailed the Scooble thing. I don't know that he nailed it. The guy's 24. He hasn't shown dick in the, oh, in the yeah. majors. Yeah, it is It is early. I mean, I, I... I know, but there's no evidence that he's been good. That's all I'm saying. All it takes is one great start, though. I mean, really, before last Tuesday, was there really any evidence that Mize was going to be the guy? And then he pitched He pitched his ass off, and you know, he's bad today, but that's, you know, now, sure. now all it takes is one. Oh, anyone can have one good start. To me, it doesn't. It takes a lot more than one. You have to have repeated good starts if I'm going to say great job on the draft pick. My only point is the few things we give him credit for, we credit him for, oh, you nailed the Scooble thing. Guys had an ERA of six. Mm -hmm. That remains to be seen. Not burying him, but you can't chalk that up as a win. And then, oh, look how he's developed the farm system. Everybody sans Scooble, who we've already outlined why I'm not celebrating yet is, as you mentioned, okay, let's look at Baseball America's top 100 prospects. Oh, we have the first pick this year. I'll take the first guy on that right. list. Oh, yeah, Riley Green, fifth. Yeah, well, he's fifth on Baseball America. I, my wife could have done that. So the, the few things that were like squeezing mm -hmm. the orange to get juice out of from this guy are, are just the most uh, baseline, easy, basic things that I don't even think have merit. I have no faith in this guy. But just the one thing I'll say, that I've liked that they've done. And I think they, they stumbled into this. I think we're on the same page here. I know, I know what you're They doing. have the best manager in baseball. They do. Um, they, Is that fair? Yes. Yeah, I completely. I think he's the best manager I, if, in baseball. If he's not, he's top two or three, and we're splitting right, hairs right. at that point. Now, uh, and I'll, I'll give, I will give Avila a credit for his initiative. Because the one thing about him that's, well, one of the many things about him that's driven me nuts is the indecisiveness, the idea that you're playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. Meanwhile, other teams are taking pieces at the deadline that you thought you could trade. Like the whole thing with Shane Green waiting until the last second with him while every other team in baseball that was competing picked up deadline guys. And then yeah. all, all of a sudden you go from asking for Carter Kaiboom to getting a team's seventh best prospect. Like I, I, I've, that's bothered me. And so it surprised me when 30 minutes after the World Series, he called A.J. Hinch. All right, cool, good. Now, I've said this a million times on Locked on Tigers. I'll say it again here. He would have walked to the south side of Chicago. That was uh, Reinsdorf uh, having, feeling guilty about firing Tony La Russa in the 80s and said, all right, let's bring him back. And Rick Hahn, who's done an immaculate job with their rebuild, ha had his hands tied. Now, they're so talented, I don't know if it's going to matter. I, th I still think batting Adam Eaton in the two spot is completely ridiculous. But did they just call the guy up who went eight for eight in his first eight at bats? I mean, they, they got depth even with the Eloy Jimenez injury. They're going to be great. So, hey, a little bit of good luck. They've had some bad luck. I'm fine. You get some good luck with the manager. Great. And A.J. Hinch is awesome. He's an excellent communicator. He's very analytical, but he's not overly analytical in a way that's inhuman, say the way that, you know, Kevin Cash may be in game six of the World Series, the way Dave Roberts has been in several other playoff instances. I think he's great. And even more than that, he brought in a great staff. Chris Fetter, what he did at Michigan with that team was remarkable because when Michigan made that run to the College World Series finals, what, what made it amazing was that it wasn't a fluke. Like they had actual pitchers that were dealing and got drafted in the first three to five rounds of the major league draft. So I think he brought in a great staff around him. But A.J. Hinch could be here for a thousand years. He will not win more than 75 games with the roster that he's been given this no, season. Nobody right. could. Yeah. It's the same thing like with, with the Red Wings where everyone's like killing Jeff Blaschel. And I said, Blaschel's been there five years. I don't know if he's good or not. He's never had a functioning team that no coach could win with this right. team. I, you know, Hinch, I don't think a lot of managers are worth that much. Like he's one of the few that are. I think he really makes a difference. I think he has the best of like the analytics. Paired with the best of the Jim Leland, like right. running the clubhouse, running a room. I just, I absolutely love him. You mentioned Fetter. 
I, look, I might be getting ahead of myself. I don't know if I would trade Fetter for any pitching coach in baseball. I love everything about that guy. Well, I mean, it's we still got a ways to go, but he was he was a hot commodity before this year. Oh, he's turned I, down. A jobs. lot of Yankees fans wanted him. Yeah. And, and they went with uh, Blake instead. So no, I, I like the personnel surrounding the organization, the people in the dugout, I don't have that big a problem with. AJ Hinch is a good manager. Whatever comments you have about what happened in Houston, the guy can manage. Okay, I saw him manage a bullpen. I saw him manage starting pitching. He did a good job. Um, but it's the, it means now the, the ball is completely in Illich's court at, at this point. Yes. They can be as good. That's the truth about this whole thing is big market teams. We're not talking about the Royals. Big market teams decide when they want to be competitive and they are about to go. The Tigers are about to go five years in a row. where not just being bad, not like 75 wins, but like historically terrible 98 to hundred plus losses in a season. I can't think of a single big market team that has gone that long in recent history, not going back to the forties talking recent history where they were bad. The Yankees haven't been bad for five straight years. The Red Sox haven't, the Dodgers haven't, the Cardinals haven't. That's a long time for a rebuild that's long enough to build a farm system and a core that is sustainable for the future. And do they have the core? Probably likely. I mean, you get enough top five picks, eventually you're going to hit, but it's about surrounding those guys, supplementing that core with talent that I have serious question marks about. And even if they botch like whatever big moves they make, if they don't work out, like you just always the good faith effort. I mean, mm. I, I, I'll be a lot more mad if we're just doing the same shit. Let's sign uh, you know, Jordy Mercer and, and Josh Harrison every year and and yeah. Tyson Ross and Matt Moore. We're trying to resuscitate everyone that's been uh, under the knife 12 times in the last 10 years. It just, I, I can live with spending and, and not spending wisely. I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to say I'm going to be throwing any parades, but like you owe us the effort. And I had Evan Petzold from the Detroit Free Press, who's famous for having the best hair in the state of Michigan, actually. Probably. Uh, yeah. I think that's documented somewhere. He's got fantastic hair. But I really like Evan's work. But his position was, and I'm curious for your take on this, his position was A.J. Hinch is sitting in that room with Al Vila or on Zoom or wherever the fuck, and Chris Sillitz are having those conversations. There had to have been, this is Evan's take, there had to have been something communicated to A.J. Hinch like, look, we're in this to, to win titles. We're not going to be spinning our wheels doing this but bottom third of the league payroll stuff and, and re-signing uh, you know, every Jonathan Scope every year. There had to have been some assurances because A.J. Hinch is a guy with options, even if he had to sit out another cycle. Do you buy that? Do you think they told Hinch something to get him to commit to come here? Well, I bet that's what they told him. But it was a sales pitch. Does that I, encourage you at all? Because otherwise you're saying they just lied to him. If that's what you're. It will, it will encourage me when they spend the money, if they spend the money. It's what show what, me. what yep. they told him is people lie all the time. People lie in baseball all the time. I do think that Hinch or Hinch's agent being as smart as they are. There's that three year opt out, um, which okay, I don't want to scare people, but I don't think Dusty Baker is a long term option in Houston. And I think if the Tigers don't hold up their end of the bargain, it wouldn't shock me to see him jump ship and go back to Houston after three years. So in a way, if they want to stay relatively within the good graces of the fan base, though, I, I don't think they are right now. If they go three years without spending and, and your manager bounces back to the place that he was, I mean, we're talking disaster at that point. And that's a ways down the road. But I, I do think that is one of the reasons for the three year contract and the opt out, be, because he, he wanted to make sure if they're not holding up their end of the bargain, I don't want to be here and I can't blame him. He's too good a manager to be rotting for a 95 win or 95 loss team every season. This is why we bring you in, because that's that's a great point. Like I, I knew sort of in the back of my head that there was an opt out, but I didn't even really tie it into like 
that conversation that they had with given whatever assurances they did. Yeah. I actually, I happen to agree with Evan that, I, and we don't know, it's pure speculation, mm-hmm. but I think it's informed, reasonable speculation to think that they told him we're spending. And I, I mean, they're either going to spend or they flat out lied to all the fans and they lied to their current incumbent manager. So I don't know. I'm not optimistic. I land on the exact same lily pad that you do. Show me or just shut up. I don't want to hear yeah. about, well, we got to be patient. We got to, I heard that. I've heard that willingly for half a decade. Enough's enough time to spend. If they don't spend this off season, like this upcoming off season, I am convinced it's never happening. I, I just, I'm with you. I'm with you completely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so. th- this year shook my faith already with, yeah. with how they went about things. So, I mean, next year, yeah, I'm, we're in lockstep. It's a rocky foundation that this whole thing is yeah. on. Our faith is on a very rocky foundation. So speaking of rocky foundations and very happy topics that make you thrilled to be alive, I want to transition to this. Jim Harbaugh, mm. Michigan football coach, for who knows how much longer. Mike Villani was killing the program this week on his show. Like all week was just killing them. For like, What are you doing? They're the 40th ranked roster now on some list. Like they're just the guys are fleeing the program and they're not bringing in enough people to, to replace them. So I, you know, I'm not as intimately familiar with the ins and outs and, and the roster attrition and who they're bringing in as you are, as Valenti is, as some are. But just generally speaking, whatever you think of the current state of the program in a vacuum this year, it's year seven. I would argue is do or die for Jim Harbaugh. You're in year seven with going into year seven with no Big Ten titles. No wins over Ohio State with several bad losses. And again, you're ranked on some list of the 40th team in the country. This is year seven. If they go seven years and don't check any of those boxes, if they flop again, is he done? And do you want him gone? I, I would have let him go at halftime of the Michigan State game last year. Wow. So I, you're I, already I, in overtime of his. Yeah, he's already I, been here too I'm, And Michigan State played an amazing game. But making Rocky Lombardi look like Pat fucking Mahomes to me is unforgivable. Uh, it's, I like, I'm sorry, and they played amazing. And and El, Mel Tucker, I hear Ben clapping in the, in the background. But and and Mel Tucker coached a great game. But what are we doing? I mean, that t- like is that is completely brutal. Because the one thing, and, and I've seen this argument thrown around, and it's true. The Ohio State hurdle. Everyone in the Big Ten has an Ohio State problem. It's not just Michigan. They, they're Alabama of the North. They played in the national championship game last year. You know, they only played 24 quarters to get there, but they still, they, they were one of the two best teams. I got to throw it out there. You know? They were one of the two best teams in the country. They were great. They, they curb stomped uh, Clemson. So if Michigan was going 10 and 3, 11 and 2 every year, and you're losing maybe your bowl game to an upper SEC team in Georgia, and you're losing to Ohio State, I could say, you know what? That's a problem that no one's been able to figure out in Columbus. I'm okay with that. But dude, we got, you're losing a state at home in a year where MSU had 12 months of disarray. They didn't know who their coach was for a month. And then, then they had 10 minutes of practice and they still lost. So they lost that game. And then you're, you're, you should have lost to Rutgers. You get embarrassed on national TV against a Wisconsin team that went like five and three. Like what, it, it almost became a, a joke, like a parody as, as to what, it's like a, in a practical Joker sketch where it's like, all right, I want you to lose this amount of games and see if they don't fire you. I mean, what does, and look, in general, and I, I, haven't, I haven't raged about this in a while, but I think in general, much of the vitriol thrown Jim Harbaugh's way, a lot of it is unwarranted regarding Jim Harbaugh, the guy. I think this whole idea that he was Darth Vader, that he was trying to shake up college football with the satellite, I think that's 
a lot of that stuff is nonsense. I think he's a good guy. I think he's a family guy. I think he cares about his players and what people say otherwise beyond that. I, I, I don't agree with at all. This is a strictly a criticism of Jim Harbaugh, the coach. And if you, if you would have told any of us, I don't know what changed, but to me, the extension, um, here, let me backtrack. The comparison I made to Michigan football is the New York Yankees. The Yankees have not won a World Series, haven't made it to a World Series since 2009. And every year they lose, it's hilarious, right? Because, but the reason for that is they're going to get there, Justin. With Cashman and with the core they have, they're going to win one eventually. I always felt that way about Michigan football, that despite how much they were coming up short, despite the 62 points to uh, Ohio State in 2018, I felt like eventually they were going to get over that hurdle. With the extension that they gave him, I don't believe that anymore. I think that is them moving the goalposts and saying, we're okay with being Iowa. We're okay with being eight to 10 wins a year and having a stable program. So I don't think he will get fired if they go seven and five this year, because the one place they went with Hoke, the one place they went with Rich Rod definitely was a place of irrelevance. And that's the last place any program wants to be. Harbaugh flaws and all has a weird, quirky built-in brand that comes with him. And he he gets clicks and he gets viewers and people watch Michigan. They're still on national TV. The day that they're losing revenue or not getting the kind of, kind of audience that they were uh, when Dave Brandon was you know, near the end of his tenure, that's when they'll fire him. Until then, uh, as long as they're on the black, I don't see them really ever letting him go. And, and you mentioned this concept of moving the goalposts, and that has been my biggest takeaway from this whole thing. And I can go back to everything I said when they first were flirting with them and then hired them. I don't delete those tweets. They're all up there. They're very embarrassing. We've talked about them. I was predicting multiple national championships and I was not the only one. That was a crowded room I was in. Yeah. People were, you know, saying I, I was never on the Ohio State's terrified, but I thought he would punch with them. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd win two out of five, three out of five, and, whatever. And you know what's sad? I just got, I got to interrupt here. Oh, My expectation was never, if he left here without winning a national championship, I would not have called it a failure because to me, I, I view Alabama and Clemson as like, that's, that's not, those pro- programs are on a different planet to me. If Michigan was competing for a Big Ten title every year, beating Ohio State, hell, once every three years, well, once with every senior class you have, once every four years you get there, and then if you win the Big Ten, odds are you get to the, to the playoff. That, to me, is a successful tenure. So I was not, just for people watching, I was not somebody who had these, you got to go 15-0 and 0 every, every other season or else it's, it's a failure. I wanted stability that made made you step back and say that's an elite program and they're you know they're that second maybe even third tier now with the year they had last season i was higher on them than you were it sounds like because i was saying multiple like national championships and i made everyone realize like hey that that was plural there's an s at the end of championship i meant plural not a typo and that's all there i'm embarrassed now i don't (laughs) think that's a salvageable take i don't think i'm going to get off the mat on that one but the point with this is and you seem to be reasonable about it but a lot of people aren't I mean, even on a national level, Joel Klatt, Colin Coward, who I love. I mean, there's a picture of him over my shoulder. I've commissioned a painting of his face on my wall. But, like, the story's changed now. So now that we're six years into it, I would consider it an abject failure given the expectations, the salary, the resources available. Now I'm hearing things like, you can't expect us to compete with Ohio State. They're a juggernaut. Like, that was never going to happen. Okay. First of all, that's not what any of you people were saying when they hired him. And I was the king of the not saying that. I was saying you were going to punch with him uh, toe for toe. But nobody was saying that then. So that's a moving of the goalpost. But it's not even a reasonable hindsight moving of the goalpost. Because why can't you compete 
with Ohio State? Why can't you ever beat them? Because all I keep hearing, and, and there's you know some validity to it in terms of the resources and the brand, but all I keep hearing is Michigan State's the little brother, the little irrelevant uh, little rascal in the corner. But that little which I mean, that's always nonsense. I mean, that's, that's the majority of your fan base. Well, then, so okay, look, I, I don't listen to them. You don't <laughs> think you don't think I have baggage in mind? Well, I got some bad ones too. You should see what my fans, uh, not my fans, but the Michigan State fans, say about me. They're no fan of me. Right. But I mean, they're all bad. But I'm just saying, I'm not attacking Chris Castellani. I'm right. saying the big picture. I'm not talking about you. I I preface it by saying you're reasonable. I know. I know. You're the exception to all this. But it's out there that you can't expect them to play with Ohio State. Michigan State went into Columbus with two backup quarterbacks and beat an undefeated Ohio State team that some thought was the most talented on paper in the country, including Alabama. Beat them under horrible conditions. Went on a neutral field, beat another undefeated Ohio State team to win the Big Ten and go to the Rose Bowl in 2013. So I don't want to hear that it can't be done. You can't beat Ohio, you can't beat Ohio State like two out of six, two out of seven. It's just, it's unreasonable. And even on the, oh, you're not going to be at Bama's level. You don't have to be at Bama's level. Guess who has been to a college football playoff? Michigan State. Right. I, I'm just, in general, I still believe, and maybe I'm the idiot, because I'm like the sort of Michigan fan that people criticize, even though I'm not a Michigan fan. I still believe in the strength of the brand, their resources, their ability. They sh- If Michigan State can do it with a much smaller budget, with a much smaller profile nationally, why can't Michigan do it? Am I being unreasonable? Am I putting too much faith in the brand? Not necessarily Harbaugh, but the brand and its potential if they get it right. Well, the one thing that they have positively maintained, as much as I'm ripping them, they still recruit. I mean, this is they're still getting a top 10, 15 class every year, which is good enough. Like I'm the whole talent gap argument, it's a fair argument. But it's not the gap between Ohio State and like, you know, some some who who gives a crap like non power five school. OK, like we're talking four star recruits versus five star recruits over four years when these got like I think that's a bit ridiculous to just solely go with the talent gap argument. No, I I think it's possible at Michigan the way that it's possible at a lot of power five school. I. And I'm not going to say it's impossible with the staff they have now, but much like the Tigers rebuild, I'll believe it when I see it. There is one thing about Harbaugh that I give him a lot of credit for. And again, I like him as a guy. I don't have any issues with him as a professional, but he has not been, he has not allowed the staff that he's had previously to stay around. He has attempted to make changes. He's brought in new, new defensive coordinators, brought in new offensive coordinators. Now I, Josh Gaddis, outside of getting Shea Patterson to play three good games against Michigan State, Indiana, and say, you know, Maryland, uh, has really done nothing as a play caller here. I mean, the whole Nico Collins is going to be a top two round receiver, and they got him the ball like three times a game. So, like, Donathan Peoples Jones is better in the NFL than he was in college. So, I, I give him credit for not uh, becoming complacent, but you got to show me something, man. If he beats Ohio State once in the six years we're talking about, obviously they didn't play last year, it would have been a bloodbath. If, if JT Barrett is one yard shorter, we're not having this conversation. If they make, I think if they make the playoff one year of the six years he's been there, I don't think we have this conversation. Well, it, it would be a different conversation. It might be happening in a different form. I mean, you, you would have something to hang your hat on. Like, right. you know, we always had that uh, magical run and what is that? 15 or whatever it was. Right. So, I, you know, it's, I, 
Yes and no. It wouldn't totally get him off the hook, but it would be a different conversation mm -hmm. because you could hang your hat on that. I mean, I had your buddy Anthony Broom in, and mm -hmm. I, I challenged him, and he did a, as good a job as you can, I guess. He's, I think, he's gone in harder on him than I have. No, no, yes, yeah. but I, I mean, strictly in terms of like, I asked him, and he he did a nice job explaining it, but mm -hmm. there's no good answer. I, I don't know what your take is, because I don't get why it's not working, because when they hired him, again, they had all the, they have the brand, they have the resources, they have the facilities, they, they have all those boxes checked. They hired the guy that won big at San Diego, won big, relatively speaking, at Stanford, mm -hmm. won big at San Francisco, won big everywhere he's gone. Here he is, a blank check to do whatever he wants with his assistant coaching pool. I don't get why it's not working. It should have worked, right? I mean, it yeah, should have worked. Look, it's, if he doesn't win a Big Ten title here, it will go down as one of the greatest disappointments in the history of sports, period, like yes. relative to the expectations. I People agree. are going to say that's ridiculous, but I'm sorry. No, it was outside of maybe Saban to Bama, the biggest college hire of all time. You could maybe put Urban Meyer to Ohio State in there, but top three. They were splitting hairs at that point. The reasons why it hasn't worked, I am starting to believe that Jim Harbaugh as a developer of talent is subpar. I think that the Andrew Luck that he got at Stanford was a built-in, all-time great generational quarterback that they were able to build around. In San Francisco, he didn't, you know, he didn't have to recruit Patrick Willis or, or, or Kaepernick or any of, the, any of the, Frank Gore, any of the great players. No, that's a free agency thing. That's a front office thing. Um, there's enough evidence now to support the fact that there is clearly something within the program, whether it's him or the quarterback's coach or the offensive coordinator. In six years, Northwestern has put quarterbacks in the NFL. My, my beloved CMU Chippewas have put a quarterback in the NFL. Michigan has not put a starting quarterback in the NFL since Chad Henney. Denard Robinson returning kicks doesn't count. Okay, That is the last Big Ten title they won. So if you're looking for a correlation, to me, it's as simple as that. Like, as bad as the 2016 and 2018 losses were, 2018 maybe not because gave up 62 points, but if Spate doesn't throw two pick sixes, they win the Big Ten in 2016. And they have had Shea Patterson, who was the number one quarterback in the country coming out of high school. You're telling me in three years, all of his talent was sucked out like it was fucking Space Jam or something like this is a guy who everyone wanted. He was OK. It's fine, I guess. Sure. You know, if you if you, you put him relative to the Ohio State quarterbacks of the last decade, he'd be like seventh. So that, that to me is just why the biggest reason why it hasn't worked is yeah. that you've gone. You've had him and every guy's been this guy's going to be the guy. Now Milton's going to be the guy. Now McNamara is going to be the guy. Now Shane Morris is going to be the guy. Now the towel boy is coming off the bench. He's going to be the guy like it's I'm believe it when I see it. I mean, that predates Harbaugh. Too. I mean, we're hearing does. that about Devin Gardner as, and as, do, as and do the Ohio State problems. Like but the year yeah. before Harbaugh got there, Ohio State won the national championship and Michigan went five and seven. Like he did have a fairly steep hill to climb. So I gave him six years and he hasn't climbed it. I, I mean, the big thing is the quarterback, which, you know, you mentioned or the lack thereof. They just haven't gotten that right. I think that's the big thing. It's interesting perspective. You're you know thinking of it as a development issue. I didn't think about that, but you're kind of right. I mean, if you have Andrew Luck at Stanford, I, I mean, whether they who well, I believe he recruited and you give him credit. Oh, for that's that, to his credit. Yeah. But it's like maybe he just kind of got lucky on that one. Yeah, I recruited him. It's not like to put it down, but it's like. You hit on that, but if you can't repeat that, I don't know. That may have been the biggest issue, really, is the development. Obviously, he had a, a great roster in San Francisco. The only reason I wouldn't pin it entirely on the lack of player development is some of the in-game stuff. I mean, the yeah. thing that sticks out to me the most will always be the 2017-14-10 loss to Michigan State in the rain, where it's like, 
They're throwing the ball three, four mm-hmm. times in a row, like in this monsoon in a one possession game. It's like, what are you doing? Like, you, it was just a bizarre. And I know he's not the offensive coordinator, but you can, as the head coach, say, look, we're running the goddamn ball. You're right. And I agree with you. But I also think those three picks and 14 points don't happen if John O'Corn isn't, you know, slinging it to the other team borderline intentionally. Don't I mean, put, don't no, put I know him, you're don't, right. Don't put him in that spot. I know. I'm, and I'm with you. They and were I, throwing that ball like right. it was the, the Silverdome. And he still doesn't know how to manage the clock. And for some reason, they still can't get a competent kicker. And like, I mean, there's a million things right now to me that are going wrong. Like it is it is the inverse of what's going on with the basketball program at this point where I just I get the impression, you know, they just had another guy decommit this week. I mean, I hate to say it because I want him to be good. I hope everything I say right now on this podcast turns out to be bullshit. I hope he goes undefeated this year. But we're at a point now where it kind of seems like it's a program a lot of people don't want to be a part of or at least don't want to be a part of part of for very long. I mean, we've seen a lot of decommits. People go to other schools. If I'm a five star recruit right now, what is your pitch if you're Jim Harbaugh? Well, that when I played here, we won Big Ten titles. You can't you can't hang any hang any banners for what you've done over the last six years or the last 16 years. It's a great fight song, though. I'll That's it. it. It's a great fight song <laughs> a great, and a great band a and a great, great stadium. I mean, it, just generally speaking, the trajectory is the issue because it's yeah. like Mel Tucker, you know, that team sucked last year and he knows it. But it's like, OK, we're laying the foundation. They can probably be bad another year. What they go? What were they? Two and four last year? Two and five. Two, he should have won Big Ten Coach of the Year. Yeah, well, with that, with, the with that of, roster. The nature yeah, of the I'm, Like that, that he was he was returning. Uh, it was a ragtag bunch, and they he got them to play harder against every opponent yeah. than they ever had any right to. And, and a lot of games, they didn't win because they didn't have less talent, or they didn't have more yeah, talent. North, Northwestern was, like, legitimately good, and they beat them. I mean, right. I'm not saying they're like Bama, but, I mean, that was, like, Northwestern was probably legitimately, like, the 14th best team in the country. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it— Beat them and and you know, nothing foolish about that. So, but point being, it's like you got to look at where you're at on the timeline. Right. Like it, you can't. You're saying, what am I supposed to sell? You're absolutely right. Like, what are you supposed to sell? Because Mel Tucker, a lot of programs around the country can sell. We're it's the build. We're on the come. You know, here here we go. Harbaugh, it's like the best stuff he's done at Michigan was actually five years ago. His so, best coaching job was year one. I mean, really, I'll be, I'll yeah. be real with you. The last five games of Jake Rudock, Jake Rudock. In Iowa backup, were better than probably any and the games we got from any other quarterback yeah, during his tenure. I agree, and I think a big reason for that you you got to give Harbaugh some credit, but I think Jed Fish had a huge was a huge part of that offense, and he's gone. They've had to replace a lot of assistants. That happens, right? I mean, and they haven't seemed to find a suitable replacement. Uh, it's an offensive game nowadays. You watch Alabama play in that national championship game. Devontae Smith was getting the ball. 10 times in the first half on bubble screens, slant routes, you know, screen passes. You don't see that at Michigan. It's the same archaic run the ball right, run the ball left, pass the ball on third down notion that they've had since the 80s and it hasn't gotten them anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't get like why it's so bad. And that, and that it just, that it's so like, you, you know, you mentioned like Iowa, but Iowa's Iowa. I just, I don't understand, even if you're falling short, like they fell short of what their dream would be to beat Ohio State and go to the Big Ten title game. Like if you're, if you're knocking on the door and just can't kick it in, I, it's, it's easier to like, right. Kind of grasp. Yeah. And that's why I think last year was a tipping point for it a lot just of people. It looks so bad. And I, you know, they couldn't snap a football, dude. For, it I mean, looks it, so bad. I, I will say, despite all my cynicism. I believe that within the next several years with him here, I don't think last year is a reflection of the future of the program. I don't think they're going to be going four and eight every year. Right? I don't think they're going to be under 500 the way they were last year. I think last year there was a perfect storm of nonsense that led to the season they had. I think he'll get back to that eight, nine win range, but 
that means we're going through the same movie every year. It's it's the opponents that you want to beat, you don't beat the Wisconsin's, the Penn States, clearly the Michigan States. I mean, him being three and three against the Michigan's. This was not thirteen through fifteen. This is fifteen through twenty. It's been a bad stretch, right? And they still beat you. So yeah, yeah. I mean, if you don't want to use Ohio State as the measuring stick, fine. They're really good. They're tough to beat. But if you can't beat the program in your own state, then yeah, you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I mean, I, D'Antonio knew the importance of that. If we win this right. game, things open up. And guess what they did? They beat the shit out of Michigan. Like what was it? Like seven out of nine years, and it led to a whole lot of success. Yeah, I mean, you said it. Even if you're not going to compete with Ohio State, okay, you better go ten and two then, right. or eleven and one. I mean, if you if you want that like sort of out, that's fine. But you better win your other games. Mm-hmm. They're not doing that now either. It's like I, I'm just flabbergasted by it. We'll finish with Harbaugh here. Assuming this doesn't work out, you seem to be dubious. Where do you turn? Is I mean, do you have a name in mind? I mean, you, look, the, do the, you have a style in mind? The Twitter world is going Matt Campbell, and there's a lot that's very appealing about Matt Campbell. Here's the thing: is the fan base is going to be frustrated with any hire because on paper. No hire will look better than Harbaugh on, on paper. The right. Harbaugh hire was a dream that he fell into their lap and people were doing campaign videos asking them to come to Michigan. It was a one in a million stars aligned situation in which should he felt worked. Away. Right. Yeah, it should have worked. Right. So there's going to be nobody who on paper is going to be that good. I would at this point go with somebody who's younger. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't have a name in mind. Like, yeah, there's like the dream ones like fickle, but. Goes an Ohio State guy. He's waiting for Ryan Day to go to the NFL so he can take the Ohio State yeah, job. And that's he's, where not, that's going. he's not going to come to Michigan. And that's exactly what's going to happen. He's not, you know, it's not going to be Urban Meyer or what, you know, what the it's, it would be somebody from a, you know, a smaller school that was successful um, that is, you know, kind of taking the next step in their career. I don't think that there's like that lifer 25 year, 12 Big Ten championship guy out there. I don't know if it's sustainable here at this point, at least not for the, the, the time being. So yeah, I, I, that's what's frustrating, too. And I think that's really I think that's part of the reason they gave him the extension this year is there was not a Harbaugh type candidate out there. And everyone wanted Matt Campbell. And Matt Campbell, I think, is an excellent football coach at Ohio State. What he's done there is pretty incredible, but it's two good years. Right? I'm looking like if I'm a Michigan fan, which make no mistake about it, I'm not. Right. But if I were, if I'm being an, an honest analyst about this, if I had my druthers, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'd be kind of like you. I'm not going to hone in, obsess about one name. I want a 33-year-old Mensa offensive coordinator or someone with, you know, a fresh coach. Yeah. I, like, I, I will be, if this guy can legally run for president, I don't want him. Like, this guy's got to be under 35. And the one name, you know, if I'm going to say one that I really like, I'm not saying he's ready to take over I've, now. I've, I think I know Brady from the, the LSU offensive oh, coordinator. Oh, no, he's great, too. I like him, oh, okay. but that's not who I was going to say. I've, I've actually talked about this next gentleman for about two years now. I'm not saying he's ready tomorrow, but year, two, three years from now, I really like Kellen Moore, former Lions uh, third-string quarterback, you know, Cowboys offensive coordinator, really respected mind, uh, just a really bright, sharp guy. Some mixed reviews, but for the most part is well-respected and thought of as a guy on the come. But that kind of guy, whether you agree with me on, on Kellen Moore, if you favor Brady, who's obviously a, a hot name out there yeah. as well, somebody in that mold. I think that's where they have to go to try to change it if this doesn't work. And I don't see how it works now because they had all the momentum in the world and they couldn't get it right. Now you're sort of in quicksand. That's my take on it anyway. But I'm with you. I'm with you completely. Yeah. So. Let's have a little more fun now. So, uh, stretch a little bit, uh, loosen up, undo a suit button. Yeah, yeah. are you regretting turning down that drink at the bar now? (laughs) So, 
there's not many people that have come through here that I would create an entire segment over, but you are the exception. You're actually the first time we've done this for anybody because I have so much respect for one avenue, no pun intended, of your expertise. You, like me, are a huge movie buff. You're a big movie guy. You love Hollywood. We both probably love it equally. You just have much better insights on this stuff than I do. I'm more of just like, a, yeah, you know, the twizzlers are good, and I like, ooh, big pictures. But you're really analytical. So we created this new segment. I'm hoping that you'll come in once a year, maybe biannually if you're feeling really frisky, yeah. so we can return to this. But we're going to do, it's called Chris Does Hollywood. And I'm going to ask you, it's similar to our speed round, but I'm going to ask you a few cinematic Hollywood questions. So let's uh, start our first ever Chris Does Hollywood. So look, I, I could start this a million ways because I, I really had to pare it down because we're trying to get you out of here at a decent hour. You mm -hmm. live far away. But I'm going to start with this. So this is something I, I challenged myself to do, and I'm curious for your take on where I landed. Are you familiar with the IMDb rating, the yeah. user rating? Mm -hmm. I'm beholden to it. I mean, you, is that something you look at? I mean- I'm beholden to it. Uh, somewhat. I mean, any schmuck can review it. So can review on there. Well, so any schmuck, but I mean, it's it's pooling together. Right, that's that, true. I'm, uh, I'm yeah. talking about the average score. I'm I gravitate right. towards that average yeah. score. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I pay attention. So to it. So IMDb gives you it's you know zero to ten, and it's just the the average score of the thousands and thousands, sometimes more than that, depending on the movie of reviews. So my logic is like if I'm talking with my wife about going to see a movie before you know the. the COVID thing, mm, right. you know, it's like if it's below a 7.0, I'm probably not going to even mm -hmm. bother and anything below a six, no way. But I, I, there's some terrible movies that I really like. So I created a challenge for myself that I want you to score. So you're a movie snob. I mean that endearingly, right? You're, you're the, the movie reviewer. You're, you're the sharp cat. So I went through the IMDB list and listed my favorite movie at each level. Anything in the nines, anything in the eights, anything in the seven, sixes, so on and so forth. It now, got really tough at the end. Do you right? like all these movies or some of them, it's just the best of the bad? The bottom is the best of the bad. Okay. The, the, the last couple. But not, for the record, I'm not saying that these are the best movies. They're my personal favorite. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying this is like Ben-Hur here. But, you know, so we'll start. I'm going to throw up the list and I'm going to read it for our wonderful audio listeners. So for the nine range. The Godfather. Fair. Part one. Yeah. Eight through 8.9, seven. Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, 1995. Fantastic. Jerry Maguire is my pick at level seven. Love it. Jerry Maguire is just a personal favorite of mine. Getting into the sixes. Now we're getting into the plot hole range. Cruel Intentions. Look, two smoking hot actresses, a fun plot, and arguably the greatest soundtrack of the 90s. Forrest Gump doesn't count because they just played all the 60s hits. I just, I like it. I'm a sucker for it. Getting a little ugly into the five range. I put D3, the Mighty Ducks. Personal favorite. It's just fun. 
And then it gets really disgusting at the bottom. Where yeah. Four, I put the Flintstones, which is a objectively terrible the, movie. The, the live action one they did? Yeah, yeah. with uh, John Goodman. Yeah. There's some like funny parts in it. I was seven years old when I saw it and I liked it. So it's almost like grandfathered in, but it is terrible. And then a movie that you've reviewed recently, yeah. Batman and Robin. I couldn't even go to the 2.0 and 1.0 because you were getting into like, right. You're, yeah. like what's the, the Scientology movie that John Travolta did? Oh, Battlefield Earth. Yeah, Battlefield. Oh, no, that's a great one. Yeah. I, went, I went down to the twos and I was like, the only one I even reckon, I haven't even seen any of these movies, so I couldn't in, in good faith even rate them. But uh, so anyway, Batman and Robin, the horrible iteration of Batman, gets in in the level three just basically based on the fact that it's a Batman movie and that's the only reason. But just, what do you think of my list? Is anything up there egregious? I love Seven. I think Seven's okay. an amazing movie. One of the greatest twists of all time. I believe the first uh, real breakthrough for David Fincher following you know him being forced to direct Alien 3. It's amazing. That's the one, though, where in, between the 8 and the 8-9 range, there's a lot of great movies in there. That's maybe the one that I might knock off. And again, seven is probably in my top 30, 40 favorite movies. Ever. Yeah. I love it. But yeah, that's the one because I think, you know, I try to think of the IMDb rankings. I would probably be able to spot one or two that I like. Yeah, but without it in seven. front of you, it's right. Um, it's not that necessarily you agree that I nailed it. It's number right. one, but like it's a very, it's a defensible. It's a great movie. It's, yeah. a, it's a tremendous movie. It's a defensible answer for that section. Um. It almost makes me physically ill that Batman and Robin qualifies for best anything, let alone best three on a, on a list. But no, I'll have to I'll have to look. But that movie barely qualifies as a film. I like, mean, people's it, SAG cards should have gotten ripped up after that movie. It was, was basically going up against like Air Bud 4. So, Which know, just, I, I would probably put ahead of that simply because it doesn't insult one of my childhood heroes. That's the only reason. But like I, I, but in general, no, I mean, I Jerry Maguire was has always been a movie that like I think is good. I. It's one like everybody likes Cameron Crowe, or they used to, and he hasn't made a good movie in a while. But um, I think it's fine. I think it's relatively dated um, now, but it's it's a nice movie. It's it's fine, and that's in what the seven range. So I guess that makes sense. Uh, Throw that list back up, yeah. Man, so Chris needs the visual aid. Okay, I only saw one Mighty Ducks movie, and I know that might be blasphemy to people out there, but I, I was a child of the two thousands, not the nineties, so it wasn't as. Uh, have you it, seen the horrible Flintstones movie? I have. Yes, it's, it's I saw terrible. it as a child. It's been a while since I've seen it. Um, I mean, that's just a dumb idea in general. Like I, unless, you know, unless, unless you get a genius to do it, I, I feel like that's not going to work out anyway. Um, and of course the Godfather nine, nine to 9.9 9 range, of course. I you're, mean, I, yeah. yeah. You're not on the, like the Godfather's overrated club. No, like there, no, there's people no. that are in that club. Uh, um, I, I have a, I, I, I would say that from nine to 9.9, 9, I know the highest rated movie on IMDb is Shawshank Redemption, yes. um, which is not my favorite movie. Uh, the Dark Knight probably holds that spot, but is probably the best movie I've ever seen. Just on a structure level, direction. It was my acting. runner. It was my runner. Yeah. So I mean, that, I, we're again we're nitpicking here. So I probably put that ahead of The Godfather just because every time that's on TV, The Godfather is a is a pretty brutal experience. Whereas the, the Shawshank Redemption, the reason it's on TV every other day is it's it's very digestible. It's very watchable. So I probably put that ahead of Godfather. But for the most part, I can't knock you for the list. I appreciate that. Cruel Intentions, great soundtrack. This fantastic soundtrack, by the way. So check that out, even if you hate the movie. So I appreciate it. It sounds like you're giving me like a B plus. Yeah, but we'll accept the yeah. same rating. David Klein gave my all Izzo uh, starting lineup. <laughs> so yeah, we'll take a B plus is good. We'll take mm -hmm. B pluses. I would have been thrilled in middle school algebra. Okay, moving on. I have argued, and we'll stay on the Godfather that the scene with 
Michael Corleone talking to his dad, Vito, at the end of his life, I've argued for a long time is the best scene in cinema mm. history. So I look, it's like a four minute scene. We're not going to play a four minute scene. We cut up about 45, 50 seconds of it. I'm going to play that. I just think it's the best scene ever. And while we're playing that, I want you to tell me if I'm crazy or in your opinion, what is the best scene that uh, the history of cinema you've mm -hmm. ever seen? So let's play the Godfather. I knew that Santana was going to have to go through all this. And Fredo, oh. Fredo was, oh. And I never, I never wanted this for you. I worked my whole life. I don't apologize to take care of my family. And I refused to be a fool. Dancing on the string held by all those big shots. I don't apologize. That's my life. But I thought that when it was your time that, that you would be the one to hold the strings. Senator Corleone. Governor Corleone, yeah, like two of the right. five best actors ever. Mm -hmm. The music, which is great to begin with, is just sort of hemmed in beautifully, perfect timing. I, I just think it's absolute perfection. To me, that's the greatest scene in the history of cinema. Where do you land on this? It's hard to argue. I mean, is it my personal favorite? No, What's but I mean, yours? my personal favorite, the one that stands out to me, is the end of. Star Wars A New Hope when Han Solo flies in the Millennium Falcon with the moon in the background shooting down Vader and then it leads to Luke to me that's the ultimate moment of cool in any movie is, is Harrison Ford flying in you know you're all clear kid let's blow this thing and go home that is a personal favorite of mine uh, I'm trying to think of a, a, a recent scene uh, in a movie that really blew me away I mean it's been a minute I, I guess my favorite movie of last year was, was a film called Promising Young Woman with Carey Mulligan, which I thought was excellent. There's a scene near the end of that that really, actually in the middle uh, with uh, Connie Britton, that really grabbed me as far as best of, of recent memory. You know, I have a lot of others. The interrogation scene in The Dark Knight, I know front and back. You know, I, I saw that a million times. But again, I mean, we're talking about The Godfather here. It's, it's, it's hard to argue. I would say the ending to Seven is probably up there as well, it's really. Way, yeah, ending I mean, Seven is way up. That's, you know what makes the ending of Seven such a novelty is that 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 was 95, I believe that movie came out. Yes, that would 95. never happen today. They, they would never make a movie with with two movie stars, actually three, if you four, if you include uh, Kevin Spacey and Gwyneth Paltrow, to be that dour. Test audience was te test audiences would have said, no way, I'm not going to allow it. We can't have it. It's too dark. It's too bleak. Uh, it's a weird kind of uh, microcosm of its time where that kind of 90s edge and cynicism uh, that we have that doesn't really exist anymore. So yeah, that one, in terms of endings, that one stands out. Have you ever read about the ending? The original seven? ending? Yeah, it sucks. It's okay. yeah, like what it was supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, it was just some generic, like I think they fight in a church or something like that. Oh, I'm not even talking about that. No, I mean, there, there were a couple different there were multiple, things that yeah. were going around, but one of the decisions that it, it was actually like released to the test audiences that it just fades to black when he I hope, spoiler alert, I mean, it's 30 years old yeah. at this point, but like when he shoots Kevin Spacey, uh, John Doe, mm -hmm. it just kind of faded the black. And then they went in after test audiences thought it was too abrupt. And they went in and added that little Brad Pitt getting arrested and Morgan Freeman mm -hmm. saying, take care of him. One of their other big decisions they made that I thought was interesting, curious for your take on it before we move on. Originally, they were going to, in some form, show Gwyneth Paltrow's severed head in the box. And there is, there is a cut where you can see it. Yeah. I know, yeah. That, but that was the original decision, right. was to actually show that. They made the decision. They deviated from that. They thought it was 
a little bit too much. It was overkill. The scene was powerful enough, mm-hmm. but also it left a little bit of like to the imagination in a, in a bad way, in a, a functional way for the director, but in a bad way, it's going to fuck with your head. It's almost worse not to see it. Where do you land on that? I could have taken it or leaving it. If they would have put it in, it wouldn't have ruined the experience for it. Yeah. I mean, it's the, that scene is so intense and so good. I, I do think having, you know, a, a, Gwyneth Paltrow's, you know, CG head or whatever they were going to, would have been maybe a little bit silly, but I've seen the cut. It's like half a second. Like they don't focus on it really at all. It's like a flash and you see it for a second. I will, there's one more I thought of that stood out as best scenes that I can remember fairly recent memory. The opening scene to Inglorious Bastards with Christoph Waltz uh, finding the, the three, the three Jewish people in, in the basement. Um, one of my favorite performances in any movie. I mean, he's terrifying in that, in that film. That's that's another one that stands out of recent memory where I remember seeing that in the theater being like this this is a, this is a good scene. The first time I ever saw that movie, I'm a huge Tarantino fan. I just like never saw that mm-hmm. one was right at the beginning of lockdown. I was secluded at uh, our parents cottage it's before anyone knew like what if COVID was going to kill us all or whatever. My wife was pregnant and, and a you know, nice way with a smile on her face kicked me out of the house. But I just that was the first thing I did my first night was watch that the the scene. Where, with the Italians, the Gorlami. Yeah, I, right. I don't know. I've laughed my fucking ass off for like an hour about that scene. So I love that movie. Mm-hmm. The, the one thing, I, this is a kind of a different category, but the best opening scene in a movie, you just open the door to that. I mean, you mentioned the film, but not seeing the opening to The Dark Knight is so good. with the bank robbery. So is fucking good. Just, you know. Why do they call him the Joker? Like just the, yeah. the whole thing. Him killing all. Yeah. No, Funny. He told so, me something similar. Yeah. It's the <laughs> yeah. way it, est- it establishes what that character stands for. Just the idea of chaos. And yeah, no, it's such a tense, awesome opening to a movie. It's yeah. just, it, it's like a kick right in the nuts, mm-hmm. right out of the gate. It just sucked your ass right in and you're gone for two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. You're just done. Like I'm on board. I'm in. I, like there's no way I'm getting up. Yeah. I'll, I'll piss my pants before I get up the first time I see this. Right. So yeah, it was just awesome. Yeah. So we'll move it on finishing with the movie category here. You're um, a big star 10 years from now. You know, everyone knows you're going to ESPN or Fox or whatever it may be. And you're an inspirational story, you know, down on the mat, got back off. You're a huge star now. And they want to make the Chris Castellani movie because it's an inspiring story of redemption and success. And, Arising from the ashes like the phoenix, okay? Who's starring as Chris Castellani? <laughs> who, who, who's playing you? This is where I have to do an ego trip, right? Because if I choose somebody who's super good looking and handsome, I Go feel like I'm holding... No, I... Well, you're going to pick Steve Buscemi? I mean, you should. Pick, he, pick he, he could, he could pull, Pratt. He, he could pull it off. Um, it's tough. I guess... Tom Holland. Guy who plays Spider-Man oh, right now. good one. Yeah, you got the age. Um, I mean... It's been my childhood dream to be Spider-Man anyway, so it's kind of inverse of that. He's got range. Uh, I should go with with uh, with our other dear friend that you told Stoney was my favorite actor. You prick was Ro- Robert Pattinson. You told oh, you that's your favorite you, actor. He's not my favorite. I think not he's one fault. of the best actors working. But you you flat out said Chris Castellani thinks uh, the twi- No, your quote was the Twilight guys. Chris <laughs> Castellani's favorite actor. Like I think he's fucking De Niro or something. Yeah. Hey, I'm no, not the I one. Think, I'm not the one praising the guy on Twitter. He's that's great. True. He's great. But no, not you my love favorite. Twilight. Actor. I don't know. I, I do not love Twilight at all. If you would say the same thing, but you haven't seen anything with him other than the well, Twilight. Can you blame me? I, my wife dragged I mean, it's been 12 years since those movies came out. I mean, it's like blaming not, Ewan McGregor for the Star Wars prequels. I need about three minute. times that time to get over it. <laughs> I, I, I was dragged to two of those things. First of all, 
the movie's so bad in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. But the fact it's not just that. It's everyone around you was like 14 years old, texting and kicking me. Now, for the record, this is like one movie I wouldn't mind being distracted from. It's not like they were pulling me out of The Godfather Part 2 necessarily. But like it was the most obnoxious hour and 40 minutes ever that I went through two different times. I told you I wasn't seeing the third one or fourth or whatever. I just wouldn't do it again. I, mean, I love you, honey, but come on. It was just miserable. And he was so bad in it. And it's just. I'm not defending it. I'm not. I think he's grown to be a very good actor, and I had to give you a little ribbing for it because you 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 love you let, him. I think he's great. I think I think he's going to be an awesome Batman, and I think if you've seen The Lighthouse or Good Time, I think he's very versatile. Look, and, I mean, I'll say this: it's the open-minded people on Twitter that were like, it was like twenty-five to one against me. Everyone agreed with you that has seen his like subsequent mm-hmm, work. They mm-hmm. were all like, "Oh man, trust me, Chris is right. You got it." I just look, it's it's a Batman movie. I'll, I'll see it, but man. He, he did a number on me in those two that's movies. That's fair. That's that fair. I didn't have a girlfriend at the time, so I didn't get dragged to, to those films. Oh, I, I was it, fortunate it, enough. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I like I'll, I actually like like chick flicks, man. I'll get down with some like Julie Roberts any day of the week. But man, that was a bridge too far. No, they Never stink. again. Yeah. So great job on the Hollywood uh, round, man. I, I enjoy talking shop with you. And even if nobody else liked that, I would still do it just because I, I respect you. your I respect your opinion in the medium. So let's get to the traditional speed round. And we'll get you the hell out of Dodge here. All right. The speed round. You know the rules. You've watched the show. You've been on the show. You get the show. Mm-hmm. We'll start here. The Chris Castellani dream interview. You can interview anybody on your show. You recently had a very cool one, John Boy, who mm-hmm. we have pictured up there. You can interview anyone who you take on the show. Sports figure or not? Anybody. They got to be alive, though. It's got to yeah. be someone you could possibly um, get. It's not a sports figure. It's not a movie person. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Kevin Hines. Who uh, and if I want if there was ever a movie to be made about somebody, I would want it to be this one. He's a guy who suffered from manic bipolar uh, disorder when he was in college, jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge in a suicide attempt, lived and is still around today. I read his book and I I don't read shit, dude. I don't read anything. And I read that thing front to back. Amazing story. Uh, you can look him up on YouTube. Incredible guy. Kevin Hines. Hines, yeah, A H I N E S. Um, remarkable dude. That one. That one would be very impactful. Uh, that, that one stands out on, on a personal level. Um, his story was, was very impactful to me, what that guy went through. And so that's one that, yeah, I, the sports ones would be awesome. You know, there's a lot, you know, Verlander, any one of those guys. And John Boy was a big get. I mean, that, that's, oh, that, that was very, very cool and, and very important. But yeah, I mean, if we're talking to interviews, like a long form with, with somebody like that, just talking about mental health stuff that I think would, would be really important. Is that dude like walking around now? Yeah. dude's miraculously. Yeah. They say, I mean, like when he tells a story, it's like, it's just insane. I mean, it really, it is something straight out of a movie what this guy went through and now he's, yeah, I mean, he's like, if you looked at him, you'd think like this guy's a bodybuilder or something. He's in ridiculous shape. And what's the guy, what's he like, not literally selling, but what's like the message? Like, Hey, don't give up on yourself. Well, his whole anything. his whole idea was like the second I jumped off the bridge, I knew I didn't want to die. And I think there's something really impactful about that, about that decision and like the internal regret in those last seconds. And, you know, he he survived so he could be able to tell a story. And now he's married with a wife. And it's like he he a bunch of pieces of his life fell apart and he was able to put them back together. I just think that's that's amazing. And just I mean, that that hook of. Surviving something that is basically the equivalent of like surviving a shotgun to the face. I mean, like the odds of you surviving jumping off of one of the tallest bridges in the world is basically impossible. And you're still around to tell the tale. Uh, 
great story. You know, I, 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 I love getting in touch with them sometime and just talk for like That'd an be hour. Awesome. Yeah. I'll, have to, I'll have to read that story. Mm-hmm. See, this is why I don't like having people on that are much smarter than me. Because I thought you were going to say like Akil Badu and you ended up going, <laughs> no, ended up going 10 feet yeah. deep, but which is great. Because the thing with, the thing with athletes in general, and I like, I like interviewing athletes after they've uh, like graduated, like on Mason Brew, Anthony and I interviewed Stu Douglas. Great job. Like he's turned out to be like the biggest stud in the world. He's got a podcast and like he gives you a lot of raw answers. But athletes go through media training, dude, and they 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 give you the same kind of generic answers that they're told to give you as to not rock the boat. So I want to I want to talk to somebody who's who's gone through the experiences and can open up about something like that. Very, very good answer. Thank you. I'm going to check out the book. So let's get it a little lighter. I'm going to force you back into the sports bucket. Detroit Tiger can be former. I assume it's no one on the current team. Right. You want deported to Mars. Just the guy that just drove you nuts. You hated him when he was here. Mm -hmm. Didn't like him. Either his performance, his conduct, whatever it may be. Who just drove you crazy? The one that stands out to me right away is Bruce Rondon. Um, Really? Yeah, because I some guys don't pan out. Like Hernan Perez was terrible. Just didn't pan out. Right. Outside of committing a crime, getting sent home for effort level is the worst thing you can get sent home for. And I would argue there's probably some crimes that it's worse than. I mean, if we're talking, you play professional baseball, if you sent home for effort level when you're in like your third year in the league, that's brutal. Um, and then I just I I just felt like his conduct, he was incredibly immature, had a nice little season in 2016. You felt like, all right, maybe he's going to maybe he's going to bounce back here. Maybe he's going to break out, came to camp overweight, didn't work hard. Um all the terrible players that we've seen here over the last several years, in general, I have a lot of respect for. I give somebody like a, a Grayson Griner a lot of credit for keeping his head down. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is he going to put up a 480 OPS every year? Yes. But I, I, I think he's aware of that. You know, Michael Falmer's had a bunch of struggles. Michael Falmer's had two Tommy John surgeries, right? I think that guy's high character guy. Uh, the, he stands out. Prince Fielder is another one, but he was at least relatively productive in, in his two Everyone years. Everyone says Prince. That's where I thought you were going to I, I, I'm close to that. Um, because of the whole I have kids comment that he had. But at the same time, uh, I don't have kids. And I, I think in hindsight, everyone was pissed about that at the time. It was a bad uh, comment. Yeah. It was tone deaf. It was also a little bit overblown. Yeah. And, and his performance being so poor. But that's that's the reason why it blew up. I mean, if he was batting 380 throughout the postseason well, and said that. Yeah, but just in the postseason, I think we kind of forget, like, the guy was actually really good one of those two years and pretty good the other year. Yeah. And it, he was shit in the postseason. There's yeah. no doubt. But there's like this story out there, like that he was just a complete flop. He couldn't hit the ball anymore. It's like, no, he's actually really good. Still. It, it ultimately it ended up working out because Kinsler was is one of my favorite Tigers ever. I yeah, mean, what that, that trait and then, you know, Fielder had the neck neck issue and had to retire. So I think people look at it a little bit more negatively, but I'll, I, I won't forget the day we found out we signed him. So I can't I can't go with him. I got to go with a guy who who clearly didn't want to be here yes. and, and had wasted opportunity. Like I've heard a lot of people compare Joe Jimenez to Rondon. Um, I, I, I don't think that's fair. One, his stuff is not as good as Rondon's was. And two, I, I haven't gotten any impression that Joe Jimenez doesn't want to be here or hasn't put together a full effort. He's just a guy who didn't pan out. Something got lost in the translation. With Rondon, the stuff was there. I mean, he had one of the hardest fastballs in baseball. Nice bite on the slider. Um, and I, I just I just don't think the, the content of his character was particularly high. Maybe it's gotten better. I hope he's happy. I hope he's doing well. I wish no ill will on anybody once he once they leave Detroit. But at the time when he was in his mid twenties here, uh the, the maturity, the immaturity struck me. Let's dip your toe into the Detroit Lions pool. I know this isn't your bread and butter, but right. it's the speed round, not a, a big topic for you. It's coming up in a couple of weeks, NFL draft. The Detroit Lions will select who? Seventh overall. Who they'll select, uh it's possible they go with the Pitts kid. 
I don't think he'll be there. You don't think he'll be well. If he's there, I bet they'll go yeah, with him. I, 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 I agree. I would like to see them go a quarterback, go with a quarterback. You want the QB. I, I'm fine. Dude, if they go on 16 the next two years, I'm not going to give a shit. Like, I just, yeah. right, or yeah. 17 now, yeah. 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 But um, I think this is such a rich quarterback draft that you could, you could flop with one of these guys. And like, if they draft Fields at seven and he turns out to be crap, I don't think there's going to be that many people who are like, man, what a terrible pick. He was so awful. Just Fields is a highly touted prospect. Yeah. I, I'm not completely sure. I think they'll probably, with the loss of Galladay, I could see them wanting to go with a skill position player there to kind of fill that void um, and give, and then you can make the excuse that you gave Jared Goff some toys to play right. with. Um, so I'm not exactly sure who, but I would say probably a skill position player somewhere. Fair enough. I agree. I think they go receiver. Dave Burkett is convinced that quarterback is in play. I don't buy it, but yeah, that's I think Dave. it's in play, but not, not, not top of their list. I don't yeah. think so. No way. They, they have their arms around Jared Goff. That's their guy. Okay, so you're on a stranded island, right? You know, Tom mm-hmm. Hanks, whatever. But you have a generator. You got some power. It can last you. What would be your stranded island music catalog? In other words, you can take any one musician or band's entire catalog, and that's the only music you can listen to for the next five years. Whose catalog are you taking? I mean, I'm not, I can't go Beatles because that's too obvious. Um, that's, that's everyone's answer. Um, I can't say Eminem because I feel like that's also too obvious. One band that I probably haven't talked about enough that I really love or loved um, that is fortunately kind of defunct now um, is Linkin Park. I was a big fan of Chester Bennington as a singer. I thought he was incredible. Um, that's their, their catalog. It's great workout music. If I was trying to get off of a desert island, it would probably motivate me. Doing the push-ups. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I would, I would lean towards them um, as, as some of my favorites, yeah. Yeah, good answer. Thank I mean, you. yeah, that works. That works. You got to get pumped up on the island. Right. Where you're, where you're throwing arrows at the, the lobsters and all that. Making shit. radios out of coconuts. Right, exactly. So this next one has to be in the context of players you've seen play. Mm-hmm. You can't go back to 1920. Mm-hmm. Game seven, your life depends on it. Game seven of the World Series, your starting pitcher. It can be anybody you've seen play. It can be on TV. It doesn't have to be in person. Someone that has been active in your lifetime as a fan, mm-hmm. you can send anybody to start that game and you die if he loses it. Who's, well, whose life uh, are you putting in your hands? I have a Mount Rushmore of best pitchers I've ever seen in their prime. Okay? It's Kurt Kershaw, Verlander, Scherzer, and I put Jacob DeGrom in that category now. Yeah, you, you've been big on DeGrom lately. He's the best pitcher. He's a video game character. Tons of runs. He's my, yeah, he's my favorite <laughs> player in baseball, partially because of that, because he just goes out there and balls and they don't get any run, runs for him. I'm not going with any one of those. I still have to go Madison Bumgarner. Really? I, I just, that 2014 World Series, him pitching, what, seven innings, that is 21 innings in, th- or, you know, whatever it was, in, or not, yeah, I think it was 21 innings in, in a seven-game series. We're never going to see that again. And he not only did it there, he did it to the Tigers in 2012. He did it in the 2016 a wild card game in, in, uh, at City Field. I've never seen a pitcher be that ice cold. Like Verlander and Scherzer, even Kershaw, despite the postseason struggles, have had great starts. But I've I've never seen a guy who was so automatic when the lights got brightest. Not the best stuff of any pitcher I've ever seen. I think he might have the worst contract in baseball right now. That signing by the Diamondbacks was no, terrible. Not, was, not the point. Was, right, yeah. but at the but at his best, you give me a guy who's going to trust his stuff the most and give you innings. I'm going mad. Bump. It's a it's a great answer because we've seen it on the highest stage with like one day rest. Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely insane. You know, and some of the other names you mentioned are are fair to an extent. I mean, it, Kershaw 
it's just been a disaster in the postseason relative to kind of right. got it back. I mean, he's got the ring now, but yeah, he's been, yeah. he's had way more disappointments than he's had success. He's not going to be my first still, pick. still the best pitcher in his prime I've ever seen, but not for a game like that. Yeah, yeah. he won't be. I mean, my, my pick would, uh, pro, I mean, man, you made a good argument for Bumgarner. I want to say Pedro Martinez, though. Yeah. It'd be Pedro or Randy Johnson. A little bit me. before my time, but I, I, think, right. I think of the last 40 years, Pedro Martinez is the best pitcher. It's phenomenal. Yeah. It's just incredible. Him or Randy Johnson, I'd feel a little more comfortable with. I just think their stuff was more overpowering. There, there's one I will go with, and I'm not using this as an answer, but at his best, for a short stretch, not for a long period, but for a short stretch, Jake Arrieta, when he was really rolling, yeah. was like that. That kid in eighth, I think Coward said this. He's the kid in eighth grade who has a beard, full grown beard, yeah. pitching against middle schoolers, yeah. like him going into to the uh, PNC and just dominating the Pirates. But that was such a short stretch. I can't go with him. Still yeah, got to go. Like two or three year stretch. Yeah. It was like sub two ERA. He was pretty impressive. For a year stretch, he was the best pitcher of all time. And that's not an exaggeration. Yeah, he, was he, he had a sub one ERA and two no hitters. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. At his peak, very good. Mm-hmm. Okay. So your Detroit Tigers bodyguard. So this is, we're going to keep this in, guys, you've seen before. Nothing to do with baseball ability. You're rolling up to Royal Oak. You're hanging out on a hot date or whatever. Some guy steps to you. You got to get him off you. Who do you want next to you? Who's your Detroit Tigers bodyguard? Who, who's defending your honor? I mean, I could probably go with Rondone for this too. I mean, but <laughs> no, I, would, I, I don't think he, I, right, I don't. I think he'd bail. Exactly. I don't think. He, yeah. I think he'd throw some. You know, he's fat. That's his only some four, some four out of ten uppercuts to get my ass beat. But um, no, I. Miggy stands out right away. Yoannis Cespedes stands out right away. I like the Cespedes. I would probably go Cespedes. Yeah, I mean, that? I don't like the Cabrera answer at all. He's a goofball. I, well, you get a yeah, I know, but person. I mean, we saw what he did to Austin Roman. Uh, a a, uh, I'm not going with this guy because he was scrawny. But to quote Fight Club, skinny guys fight to the death, and he did. Remember when Rick Porcello beat the shit out of Kevin Euclid? Yeah, I yeah. So I mean, that's that's my wild card. That's my this guy's not going to beat me up, and then all of a sudden he's you know. Kung Fu Roundhouse dude to the yeah. jaw. I'm, I would probably go with Cespedes. In terms of build, uh, that guy was built like a tank. Yeah, it's a monster. Who knows if he can take a punch? I mean, the thing is, Cabrera, I, I'll hear the Cabrera argument if we're like in the inebriated 2009 version where he was like making fun of uh, overweight kids at the Townsend in Birmingham. That guy's crazy and might get down with some crazy stuff, but uh, not now. He's, he's, he's going to like, you know, hurt his rib cage yeah. turning around. Right. So anyway, that's fine. Yeah, Cespedes is a good one. Built like a brick shithouse. My answer, and that does conclude our speed on, you're off the hook. My answer, which I, you know, I know you're dying to know mine. I want to hear it. Look, Kyle Farnsworth ah, was, it, you talk about skinny guys that beat some ass. Like he had that, he famously was like Jeremy Affelt from the, the Royals. He just tossed his ass. We actually pulled this clip of him. This was not that incident, but tackling uh, catcher Paul Wilson. Was this, that the Reds? Yeah. That, yeah, this that was is, a famous one. Yeah. Play this, Ben. This is one of the best form tackles I've ever seen from anybody, let alone a baseball player. The start here. They're going to try to send Reds over to their dugout. Farnsworth comes up and in on Wilson, who was trying to punt. The pitch was a wild pitch. Looks like Wilson got the worst of that one. Uh, there were some haymakers landed by Farnsworth. There's no doubt about that. Well, Wilson said something when Farnsworth came in because... I was in multiple. He was in two separate brawls with the Tigers, too. And just he was always beating ass in those fights. He's mm-hmm. you know six four, tall guy. So that, that's my pick. Can't go wrong. You're off the hook, man. You did great. Thank you. So I mean, there was like about a year gap between your appearances. Close to about so, ten months. Yeah, ten months. Thanks yeah. for clarifying. So we'll <laughs> see you again a little bit sooner, maybe. Yeah, uh, I think so. I'd love to have you back. Let's say. Um, uh, post trade deadline. Let's see what they do. That that'd be nice if you can fit it in. 
I know you got some stuff going on. I know you're a busy guy. Mm -hmm. So no pressure, but the audience loves you. I love you. And I got to say, it's just great to have you back. Well, it's been, uh, it's been very overwhelming. A lot of the reception, um, since I come back, since I came back, cause, uh, you know, three and a half months in the world we're living in now, that's, it's long enough for people to forget about you. And, um, it's been, it's been very encouraging. And, uh, I, you've known me for four years now. I know the guy sitting here is a lot different than the guy who was sitting there. And, um, it's, I, I've really appreciated the support. I've appreciated you reaching out. Um, you know, there's, Social media can be a cesspool, but there's a lot of wonderful people there. I've made a lot of wonderful friends. And I've talked to some great people. Some you've had on the show. Some you're going to have on the show. So, um, yeah, I, I appreciate all of it. Uh, sincerely, you know, I, I, I'm very open with, with my emotions and how I feel, but it's, I genuinely uh, can't thank the people enough in your audience and the people on social media who have been so kind during my break. And as I've gotten help, it, uh, it does mean a lot. I'm going to stop before I start crying. Well, it's okay to cry if you want, but you know, I, I did on Mason brew a couple of weeks ago. I it, slobbered all over myself. Well, well, And that's okay. You know what? You know, I love you. You know, there's a lot of people out there that love you and support you and, and have your back and look like no one can say a bad word about you to me. Although no one, no one even tries because everybody fucking loves you. They don't like me, but they love you. You know, they, they come here for you and not for me when, when you're here. But, um, you know, it's just, you said it. There's been different versions of you. The the guy sitting here four years ago is, is not the same. I just that's fine. Maybe true. You've evolved. It's great. But I gotta say, I've loved you every step of the way. Thank you. And I got your back. If anyone ever fucks with Chris, keep in mind I, I got steel skin. No one takes more arrows than this guy. I'm universally despised on social media, and I just keep plugging away. So don't come at Chris because uh, I got your back, man. And it's just so good to have you back. And you're such a uh, sharp guy. And, Thank you. And so talented and so good at what you do. And I'm glad you're doing it again. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm glad everyone stood by. I'm not surprised though. that It's worth the wait for them. Thank you. So uh, much love to you, Chris Castellani. I would say, you know, go hunt him down on Twitter, but the guy's all over the place. He's probably in your face. I'm sure you're following him anyway, but just in case at Castellani 2014. And Ben Augusta really is working his ass off for us, Ben. So great job. We haven't had a single fuck up in the show, like like a real fuck up, you know, stuff we see, but the the audience sees in like months. And it's just, it's, you're so impressive, Ben. So thank you for all the talent that you're bringing to bear. I always say, I just turn the mic on and talk like Eric Williamson, our graphic guy, Dylan Smith doing all our social stuff, Ben Augusta, the great and powerful Oz, as we call him here. These are the guys that are just driving this bus. So thank you. Everyone out there watching the show, thank you to you guys. This was a big milestone week for me. A UPS driver recognized me on an elevator and said, go green. I'm so used to like wearing steak here. I just said, go white. I didn't think about it. And he told me he actually likes the show. That was the first time I've ever been recognized in public. May never happen again. But to all you people out there that are watching, that are downloading this stuff, that are sharing it, we love you. We appreciate you. I know you're usually coming for my guests, not me. That's why I bring the best ones in. That's why Chris Castellani is the only one that's on my wall twice. And he has set a record tonight. The first time that we've had someone in four plus times. So this is a, a big night. Chris, it was great to have you, man. Love to have you back. Thank you. Absolutely, man. I'm happy to come back. I appreciate you. So Spiro Avenue show, that is it for us. We will be back in a few days with Corey Woods of the Woodward Sports Network the fledgling operation in downtown Birmingham. They have done something that I've been asking some rich guy to do for like 20 years. Just come in and say, here's my fuck you money, and I'm going to just do what I want. Uh, they're shaking things up, so we're loving that. Uh, Corey is going to be making his debut. Corey Woods and I, unlike Chris and I, disagree on almost everything. 
and he's got a lot of strong opinions. So I've always said, I want someone coming in here and yelling at me. I've been asking for it. Uh, everyone I know is too nice. Corey might be your asshole for you. And I mean that nicely, Corey, if you're listening, because I do respect him. But he and I just are, could not be more apart on about 90% of sports issues. So that should be good. He'll be in Thursday night with that debut. We've got a lot more coming, especially for you Michigan State people. Some people high-ranking in that football program coming through very soon. A lot of good stuff coming. Thank you for watching Spiro Avenue Show. Chris Castellani, check him out if you haven't already. Of course you have. That's it for us. Have a good night.